Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Gretchen, Bill, welcome. Hello. Hello there. Can you believe Thanksgiving is already next week? No. Yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting response. Um, I think it kind of snuck up. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of other stuff, too. But I, I know we had Halloween because I remember putting the decorations away. I just don't remember the rest of it. It's like it just went by so fast, you know? Yeah. But um, we're getting to that time of the year. We're going to be talking a little later in the show in our next segment on tech gifts this year. This will be one of two conversations. But next week, we get into Black Friday. now. A lot of different places are offering their deals early, but from what we're seeing, there's actually going to be better deals that still will fall on Black Friday or thereabout and Cyber Monday. So it's quite the thing. And Amazon is really playing this up because they've gotten rid of their price matching. So if you buy something and it's a little bit more money and then it goes on sale, they don't refund the difference anymore. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays into the actual Black Friday specials to see if they're going to be further discounting that one day or not. So. Anyway, so we'll be talking about that coming up here in a little bit. Got a great interview next segment, too. And uh, Frank Mong, uh, who is the CEO, I believe, of a company called Helium Mobile. And when we first talked about that, it's, oh, okay, another you know cell phone carrier. That's interesting, but really not news. However, after learning about what they're doing, it is actually something very unique. And I think it's kind of a cool idea. And I, I think they're probably going to have some success with it. but. You know, they're entering a very big, very controlled market with yeah. something that could really change the way the technology works. So he's going to be telling us about their product coming up here in the next segment. Definitely worth the listen. I will give you one little bit of a spoiler alert. They're actually successfully being able to deliver mobile service for $5 a month in their test market. And nobody's gone bankrupt. So different way of doing it. So sometimes, you know, maybe you can build a better mousetrap as it is. That's good. Mm-hmm. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the news this week. What do we have in the news? Okay, this is actually kind of cool. Actors strike over after 118 days. Yeah, so for anybody that's been off world for the past 118 days, you might not know this, but the Screen Actors Guild, along with the Writers Guild, which settled a little earlier on, have been on strike. And There's been a number of things that have been up for negotiation, which created this situation that stopped production of everything for 118 days in the actor world. And probably while things are starting back up, I don't think we're going to see too much until after the holidays, although there'll be some new content out and that type of thing now with knowing this. But basically what came out of this, just to kind of give you a caption of it, performers will earn a 7% wage increase effective immediately. And that's kind of a cool thing. And then an an initial pay hike will be followed by a 4% increase on July 1st, 2024, and a 3.5% increase in July 1st, 2025. Background actors, stand-ins, and photo doubles will immediately earn an 11% wage increase, followed by the same four and three and a half hikes as general performers in 2024 and 2025. Now, one of the reasons this is important is because about 5% of the craft of the of people involved in acting professionally are your A-list that make a lot of money and you see on movies and that type of thing. The other 95% do tend to try to make their living this way, 
But with inflation and everything else, it was well under what everybody else would have been making, which is why this became such an issue. So this isn't really somebody that's already making a million dollars plus a picture. Okay, they're getting another 7%. No, this is the other performers, the other 95% of this world that are maybe in a commercial here and there or something of that nature that get the minimum contract wages and still need to be able to eat. The next part of this is a big deal because this, and this was one of the key issues, it's the streaming bonuses. So actors have earned residuals. I mean, that's the case. We have that here on user-friendly for a very long time. However, they weren't paying residuals on most streaming projects, only on stuff that was on broadcast television. Well, most people stream their content now. In fact, uh, we talked about it earlier this year, the regular pay TV providers like your Comcast and uh, which is Xfinity and some of these others have dropped under 50% of the paid TV audience in favor of streaming. It's called churn. But the thing, if it is, is the performers, the people that actually bring us the magic of these things, weren't being paid for the streaming stuff, just the actual on-air broadcast or cable broadcast versions of it. And getting through this was a big deal because you can't really do it by the number of plays like you would on regular television because everybody streams at a different time than that. So they've come up with a system. I'm not going to try to explain the formula here yet because I'm just a (laughs) physicist. It's a little over my head. But um, (laughs) it is being paid based on the number of hours streamed on a given project. And there's a calculation, a success metric, and dividing domestic views and the number of domestic subscribers on and on. And if the result is at least a 0.2, which is the rating level, then a bonus is paid. And of this, 75% of any bonus money will go to the performer, with the remaining 25% going into a new streaming payment distribution fund to compensate performers who work on streaming shows. So that's how they work that out. I will be very interesting to look at the math. I might need a quantum computer to do it but at least they've come up with something. One of the other things uh, that have come out of this is disclosure of viewership stats. It wasn't required for production companies to disclose this. Um, They've changed the rules on this that uh, they are required to disclose in certain circumstances so that you know you're actually being paid right on your residuals and that type of thing. Now, item number four, this one is the one that was kind of the really big deal next to money. Limits on artificial intelligence. Now, we've been talking about this in the past where AI is uh, doing a lot of good things, but in the art world is causing some kind of problems. Now, Bill, I know you've run into this too with AI artwork and that being a problem. Oh, yeah. I can't tell you how many times I've running through and going through it, uh, some artists uh, that I thought was an artist. Um, gallery and it ends up just being a bunch of ai stuff they threw together and then posted you know we, we talked about recently the D book that had that problem and that's one of the other things well ai can do some wonderful things it isn't absolute so it's like in some of these cases they aren't even checking what the ai is producing and they get some very weird things <laughs> um, anyway that's a little bit of a tangent on that but what sag has come up with here is film and tv producers must now obtain consent from actors to create and use their digital replicas, as well as specify how they intend to use that digital likeness. So before this, they could just scan you and kind of do whatever they wanted with your image, which could be a really bad thing. Plus, you don't get paid. So actors are entitled to compensation at their usual rate 
for the number of days they would otherwise have been paid to do the work being performed by a digital replica. So now we can use AI. There's some places where this will be a good thing if you need to do a retake or there's some kind of a problem and they're able to do it, but you are getting paid and you have some control over things like, you know, some of the more egregious things was taking a digital likeness of, say, a known actor and using him or her in something like a porn. That's what these kind of things will restrict. And there weren't rules on that before. Oh, you're kidding. So anyway, um, so some of the other things that came out of it, minimum number of background actors. This has gone up a little bit in certain productions in certain places in this varies West Coast versus New York. And the other one that's very interesting, Gretchen, is that there is now a relocation bonus if you have to relocate within 180 days to work on a new production. And that relocation bonus is $5,000 a month for six months. So just interesting little footnote there. So that's what kind of came out of it. There's some other things, but those are kind of the footnotes. So at the end of the day, back in business, and hopefully we're going to see some new content again this holiday, but I think most of it will be starting up again next year. Mm -hmm. Speaking of new content, Merry Little Batman trailer gives a first look at the festive DC special. Yeah, so when I first saw this and looked at the trailer, I was thinking, oh, Star Wars Christmas special. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like, to to be quite honest, I I don't like the artwork. Um, Yeah, I, okay, I think this is better than the Star Wars Christmas special. Probably, yeah. I'm kind of there with you, too. It just, it feels, I don't know. um, It doesn't feel like Batman. Um, I think wait for the Mr. Freeze movie in a couple of years. That will be a lot better. I think if you're um, a big Batman fan, you need to watch this with a grain of salt. Don't expect it to be like that old Batman series that Jeremy and I used to watch that was beautiful. it, but this is this is more like it's kid oriented and it's got like some slapstick kind of humor and so don't expect it to be real batman um if you want I something think, that's just a kind of uh let's take batman in a what if if you're right. so sure prepared for that then maybe you could enjoy it so it's a little bit more adam west Oh, it's beyond Adam West. It's beyond that. Adam West is campy, but this is, yeah. And I I think you're both right. I think take it, don't take it seriously. And then maybe you can enjoy it. So the the synopsis of this is Batman's son's adventure on Christmas Eve. While his dad is out fighting baddies, he seeks some glory of his own, but accidentally comes across a villainous plot to steal Christmas and has to rise to the occasion to save the day. And I actually watched the trailer, so I know I don't like the artwork. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right. Huge space explosion was so powerful it shook Earth's atmosphere. That sounds scary, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. That's why it caught my attention when I was hunting for things. It's like, oh, it shook Earth's atmosphere. I mean, you know. So, what this is is a gamma ray burst came from 2.4 billion light years away, I believe was the number. That's far away for anybody. If you try to do the math, it will overload your calculator. Mm-hmm. Um, and these happen, and this, they think, was the birth of a black hole that happened a long time ago. So your space-time is a weird thing, because the actual origin of this would have been also a long time ago to travel this distance, even at the speed of light. It's still very far away. 
And what happens is, is it hits the outer layer of our planet, the ionosphere, which acts like a blanket to protect against radiation and various other things. Now, this layer of atmosphere does a lot for us. In addition to keeping us alive, it bounces our own radio waves back down and stuff like that. And when you have things like uh, sunspots and various other things that affect electronics, what's actually happening is that radiation hits this layer of the atmosphere and can cause some problems. Satellites and all that, which tend to be outside of these protected zones, can be more affected. Now, if it was much closer and if it was stronger and that kind of a thing, it could be something that would be able to affect life on Earth because, I mean, it is a form of radiation, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, they're rare. They figure that this level of intensity will hit the Earth about once every 10,000 years, and we are all still here worried about other things, so it obviously didn't do too much damage. Mm-hmm. It's still something kind of cool to think about and how space weather, as they call it, from very far away can affect life here on Earth. So would you um, say it's like dropping a pebble in a pool of water and then it just slowly ripples out? Is that what it yeah, kind of does? I think that that's probably a decent analogy. I mean, it, it's not literally, a, well, actually it's kind of a ripple when you think about it, but it's not physical like that. And um, it's dissipated through the atmosphere, you know, until, it, uh, until it's gone. But uh, it definitely can be sensed by today's telescopes and these different types of things that watch for this. and something really strong, but it's going to be more our own sun that causes these kind of problems will continue to cause problems with electronics from time to time. Okay. So, speaking of problems, are car kill switches required by 2026? Yeah, so this is in the news because we have been getting so many questions about this from everybody, and I wanted to address this because when I first saw the request I started looking up to try to find information on. The first thing I found was this article that stated, looked to be very real, stated that in due to a uh, infrastructure spending bill that went through, I think this year, in 2026, they are going to mandate that they install switches in vehicles that can be remotely used by law enforcement and other people to turn off the car. <laughs> what are and, you going to do with my old car? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, but, but on new stuff going forward. and. It, that would create a lot of controversy. The other thing that this article kind of alluded to was this idea, and this has been shared like over a million times, all that kind of stuff alluded to was that it wasn't just restricted to law enforcement, that like your insurance company, or if you didn't make the payments on the car, that kind of thing could also get into these systems to get this information. So we did a little more digging and I wanted to assure everybody that from what we're finding, this is not true. Oh, so this there is disinformation. Are- it's disinformation that this is false. Now, what is true that came out of the infrastructure bill, which is where I think this probably was created from, is that they are requiring some devices that if you get into the car drunk, it won't start. It's able to sense that. But it's still not a remote control kill switch. And the other side of it is, is as far as this technology, it actually does already exist with OnStar and some other things, but you would subscribe to it and turn it on. It's not mandated. So again, that's what we found out when we were looking into this. So there are some restrictions coming down the road. If you're driving impaired, that type of a thing, the vehicle won't start. It's not a remote control thing. It's the onboard computer that does it. But having an external third party be able to essentially get into your car's computer and turn it off, that seems to be completely false. 
and with good with good reason because you can have horrible yeah. accidents caused by something as crazy well, that wouldn't as be that. abused at all in any way oh, but yeah no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> sarcasm sign yes. i have a truck that oh wow a kill switch i can literally pull the keys out of it and throw them to my co-pilot you know if i want to and still keep the engine running because it's that kind of diesel yeah so it's yeah. like that's gonna take a heck of a lot of system to stop that one well, the thing of it is, too, is also, and like Gretchen said, with her 30-year-old car and the same thing, I've got an 83 pickup myself. Um, you know, those systems are mechanical usually, and if they are computer, they're not to this extent. Mm. So that wouldn't have an effect of being able to even be used on something like that. I do understand why they are wanting to figure out ways to crack down on impaired driving because it's a huge problem and it kills people. Yeah. And that is an issue. But having somebody somewhere that you don't know what they are being able to turn your car off reminds me of something out of the movie Idiocracy for anybody that's seen that. Yeah. Well, the Coke machine turned off my battery. Well, you know, we could head down that road. <laughs> we, yeah. You know, is it just alcohol or are they going to take in um, the whole um, marijuana situation? So since you've asked the of, question, the way that yeah. these systems work is they analyze face motions. Okay. And we already have some beginning of this in certain cars where if you start getting tired you might see a message that comes up uh, maybe you should take a break on the readout i've had that happen mm -hmm. and what it's doing is it's looking at certain things and creating an algorithm now when you're drunk or impaired usually there are some very specific things that it can identify to be able to know that that's the case so yes conceivably it would be any form of impairment because it's not a breathalyzer it's using AI to be able to make that determination. So whether you're drunk or stoned or whatever the case may be, as long as it falls into the parameters. Now, the other question, of course, I know that we're going to get asked is, what if the AI misdetermines this and you're not drunk, but you have that? So I don't know the answer to that. I wasn't able to find it, and I don't know if it's been addressed. So we still do have two years before this is coming out. So I'll watch for it. And as soon as I can get some more detailed specifics, we'll talk about it. But that is a good question. Uh, yeah, it definitely sounds like jumping the gun. Google yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Google issues three-week warning to anyone with a Gmail account. So what's this about? If you have Gmail, which is the majority of the internet now, you've been warned. What else is in the news? Oh, did you want me to tell you what the warning was? Yeah, what's this warning? <laughs> <laughs> um, Your refrigerator is, actually, is running. You better catch it. You know. Um, well, I guess those texts fairly often too. But in any event, um, what we're dealing with here, um, as a security thing, and plus I would think it takes up an awful lot of room, earlier Google announced that anybody that had not actively used a Gmail account within two years, the account would be deleted. This includes any content that may be in there, that type of a thing. So this warning is actually that these deletions start in three weeks. So if you have a Google account and you don't want it to be deleted and you haven't used it in a while, all you need to do is log into it. That'll reset the clock and you're good to go. But the idea here is there's a lot of abandoned accounts out there and there certainly are. So they're trying to not only clean that up, but when you have things that are unused, that's when the bad guys can maybe get in and take control of it and all the rest of that stuff. So that's where this is going on here. So again, if you have a Gmail account and you haven't used it in a long time, two years or more, and you want to keep it, just make sure you log into it once every, I believe, two years. But if you don't, there's no backup and there's no way to restore it. Once it's gone, it's gone. So any content in there would be deleted. 
Okay, good, good to know. So I, what, I think I have one that's like that, and I will go look look at it. Yeah, I had a couple myself. So you know, and it was just a matter of logging. And the biggest problem I had is I couldn't find the passwords. Um, <laughs> you know, and one was to a phone number I don't have anymore. So there are sometimes those issues, but, uh, but yeah, that's that's out there. So we're starting to wind down the year now. I mean, uh, next week we're going to be doing our Thanksgiving clip show, which is going to be some fun, and then in December we have a couple more episodes, and that's it for 2023. So next year, we're going to be looking at some different things dealing with technology. And one of the big ones is going to be the tech changes coming to real estate. And just to give kind of a 10,000 foot view on this, we are seeing a lot of what could be a potential variant in the real estate industry. One of them is, and we've anybody that's bought a house recently would know this, but pretty much everything is e-signed now. You don't have wet signatures or physical signatures anymore on your documents and that type of a thing. And that does make it easier. I think there's a whole ability to hack into that and exploit it too. But it does exist and it does tend to make things a little bit easier and have there be less paperwork. But one of the other things that's going on here too is an issue that has to do with how commissions are paid to the agents. So in a lot of places, it's required that the seller pay both the seller and the buyer's uh, you know, payment, their, their commission. And this has gone to court, and the court has basically said that it's a monopoly situation and it's thrown out. Now, I'm not an attorney, but from what I understand on this is that that rule is actually not a law. It's a requirement from the National Association of Realtors. So what they're doing is the seller must pay all commissions. And if you don't agree to that, you can't list your house on the multiple listing service, which means you can't market it. And that's where the monopoly thing's coming in. And they're saying, well, if you don't have another option or another choice. Now, worst case scenario, and a lot of this is just conjecture, if it's found that it's illegal, they're going to have to come up with a different way where the seller commission would be paid or the um, buyer. So in other words, if you're selling your house, you would still pay the commission. But if you're the buyer, Either the buyer would have to pay their own agent's commission or something else would have to be put in place to cover that. And real worst case scenario could be that anybody that sold a house and had to pay the buyer's commission might be able to file a claim somehow, because this is a class action, to get that money back. And then the question Mm -hmm. becomes, where does that come from? Are we going to put the National Association of Realtors out of business? Is it going to go down to the agents that they have to pay back their commission? None of these things may be fair. But it is definitely a practice that a lot of people have had trouble with, yeah. uh, myself included. And Gretchen, you, I know yeah. too. Yeah. And it is interesting that it's not just us. It is definitely a national concern and one that right now the court's saying is wrong. So the National Association of Realtors is appealing the decision. So it'll be a little while before we have a final verdict on that. But we're going to be covering that as well as the technology behind what makes all this work with house buying and all of that. Just as an interesting topic, we get a lot of questions. And being that your house is probably your biggest investment in life, you want to know what you're doing and want to make sure that it's working right. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our website, userfriendly.show. That's where you can find everything user-friendly and user-friendly 2.0. Find out where to stream the podcast, what radio stations we're on. We're just on in the Seattle market now. Welcome everybody from Seattle. 
and check out the details on that there, as well as submitting your questions, your comments, and going to the ever-changing social media names in different places. We have all of that based out. One little difficulty, they finally updated the website to call Twitter X. The only problem is the X is black and the background where it is is black. So now <laughs> where our Twitter link is, is just a blank space. So there's still some bugs to get worked out on that. If you click the blank space, you will get to Twitter, but it's kind of hard to find. So <laughs> mm. the problems we have. Well, anyway, in this segment, we are going to be bringing on guest Frank Mong, Helium Mobile, who's going to be talking about a little bit of a different approach to mobile networks. Here we go. Joining me now is Frank Mong, Chief Operating Officer at Helium Mobile. Welcome to the show. Bill, great to meet you. So I'm going to just jump right in here. I, I was looking through the information you guys sent over before we started recording. $5 a month for mobile. So how is that even possible? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and then how you manage that? Yeah, $5 a month. And this is for our uh, pilot city in Miami, Florida. We've been uh, at this for now, I want to say six months, not quite six months uh, in the marketplace. We went into beta earlier this year in the summertime. And I want to say in August or September, so over the last two months or so, we launched in a pilot city in Miami offering an unlimited phone plan. And so the $5 a month it includes unlimited data, voice, uh, text. So for, for all your Gen Zer audience, it's basically use all the Instagram and TikTok you want. Call mom and dad once in a while, you don't mind, and it works nationwide. We um, really want to test a model uh, on this, both from a pricing perspective, but also from a usage perspective. So Helium Mobile is a new phone service provider where we not only partnered with T-Mobile, which is a nationwide, in fact, global. Uh, carrier or phone carrier. So lots of people know who T-Mobile is. And what we've done is uh, partnered with them both on using their network nationwide and as well as they've invested in us as we are a startup company in our Series C financing, which is our third or fourth round, however you want to count it, uh, where they are an investor in us as well. And our objective here is to provide a phone plan targeting what I would consider a younger demographic in this sense, whether you call it Gen Z or millennial. And what we want to do is figure out if we can not only provide great value, a better phone service with better pricing, but also create a sharing economy around actually providing a network. And so not only are we using T-Mobile's network, in our model with this Helium Mobile phone plan, there are times when you're actually using your friends, neighbors, family members' networks. And what that means is we've created a product uh, where they can actually install their own cell tower. And it sounds kind of techno you know, very difficult or very technical, but we made it quite simple. And it's just a uh, Apple TV-sized box or like a Wi-Fi router-sized device that you can purchase from us. And if you plug that into your, your home or office or business, it will create a network that Helium Mobile subscribers automatically through their phone and can use. And in that in that model, the people that are providing the cell towers are are earning rewards. And these rewards is really the underpinning of, of our crypto and blockchain technology. So our our service is, is two parts, phone service, phone plan for everyday folks, and really everyday folks also helping us build a network. 
So this is what you're referring to on your website, I assume, is the hotspots. And it's a device that, like you say, you plug in and it creates its own network. So if you're sharing with your other subscribers, is this secure? Yeah, so that's a common question. And so the security aspect of this is really based off of encryption. So the SIM card, in most all phones, everyone's modern phones today have something called a SIM card or a eSIM on the phone. And that that's a definition of, of both configuration as well as network access and encryption. And that eSIM capability uh, drives encryption for the phone. In our hotspots, we have key management and encryption uh, capabilities built in in a secure element inside the hotspot. And again, those are some te- technical words. But the secure element essentially in- ensures that encryption is on and enabled so that it is more secure in the data that flows from someone's phone through your people-powered cell tower to the internet is completely secured and so that everyone's sort of as safe as it, as it can be. So the personal cell tower or the hotspot, um, are you backhauling that over T-Mobile's network or is that, is that actually like Wi-Fi or how does that work? Yeah, in, mo- in most cases, uh, these Helium Mobile hotspots are, are in businesses. So the bar down the street or the corner store, uh, maybe the restaurant that you like to go to, those, fo- those folks are installing these. And in those businesses, they typically have some kind of internet backhaul that they already use for business purposes. And that's what this uses. I mean, it seems like you're not going to have to deal with getting all the permits to put the towers up and, you know, all the various other things with a classic cell network. I could see where, do you see this? I, I could see where this could build out very, very quickly as soon as it catches on in a market. What, tell us a little bit about what's going on in Miami and what's happened so far. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, we launched in Miami just after summer, uh, before fall. So a couple of, couple of months ago. And what we've done is brought a phone plan to that market. And as our pilot city, it's $5 a month. And what we've also done in the last couple of weeks, it's only been a few weeks now, we've released the most, you know, so I would guess the simplest um, lineup of our Helium Mobile hotspots. Prior to this, this simple consumer product that we've launched, we had a professional line of products, which are... CBRS radios, which stands for Citizens Band Radio Service. Again, much much more technical. Uh, I would say more powerful as well. Requires um, professional setup in most cases. Th- those people power cell towers uh, are nationwide. They're like across, I would say, 7,000 locations or so. The Wi-Fi hotspots are new. And this is for everyday folks like you and I. To plug and play and get them up and running, um, whether it's in a, as I mentioned, uh, a commercial space with lots of sort of folks out and about visiting or or even your home, if you choose. Okay, n- another question I'm going to throw at you too. Do you have to have a T-Mobile phone or how do, how do you get equipment? Because usually these are locked to a network, right? So have you been yeah. able to work around that? Yeah, we're, we're different in that way. We're uh, bring your own phone. So we don't lock uh, you into any plans. We don't sell any phones today. We may in the future, but for right now, we're, we're again, a startup trying to get the phone plans correct, make sure customer support is, is going well. And so as we've been piloting in Miami, the focus has been on customer satisfaction, uptime, and so forth. You are using T-Mobile's network when there is no people-powered cell tower around so that your service just works well. And 
the phone that you use is, is whatever modern phone that you have today. So you've got a phone, bring your own phone. Okay, so if you have your iPhone or your Galaxy 20, Samsung or whatever, and you know there's kind of like a religion around phones, it seems like with some people, and uh, but you would be able to just bring that along and it would just work and you would just be able to turn it on however that would go. Okay. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. The most, common, most common phones all work. So we've kind of hit on this point a couple of times, but I know this is one of the big questions that our listeners ask all over around, and I'm going to go back again to privacy and security. I know one of the statements you've made is that you actually don't sell your customer information. And I think that might be the first time I've ever heard that from any kind of mobile, anything I've ever dealt with. So uh, tell us a little bit about why you have such a focus, because this is a good thing. It's just unusual. Yeah, it, and it's it's probably, it just it comes from the ethos of where we're from. As a company, Nova Labs is, is the company behind the scenes. Helium Mobile is a service that we're bringing to market. Nova Labs has a long history, 10-year history in the communication space, as well as blockchain and crypto. And when you, if you know a little bit about cryptocurrencies or blockchain, privacy and security is like number one on the list. So that's just who we are as a company. We, we don't, uh, we respect everyone's voice for privacy and their security. Uh, and so in our case with Healing Mobile, the first thing we're not going to do is monetize the users and monetize the user behavior in fact, if you subscribe to the Healing Mobile plan, we ask for permission to turn on location services or tracking, and it's opt-in. And the reason we ask for that is because we need help from our subscribers and users on where they tend to be. If they're always hanging out in Times Square in New York, we'd like to know that so we can go convince the businesses there to help us build a people power cell tower network and not use T-Mobile because T-Mobile is more expensive. So it's Kind of logical, but we ask for that. And of course, every user and subscriber can make the choice to say, no, I don't want to share that. And that's by default, it's no, you're not sharing. But if you do decide to opt in, Bill, what's cool is you do earn rewards. As part of our blockchain and crypto system, the users of our service are actually helping us if they choose to um, give us information on their location. We use the metadata for that that helps us get better intelligence on where to promote businesses to stand up more cell towers. So that's really, you know, a very simple model, very simple system. And I feel like most folks, regardless of your location or preferences, um, want to help and want to be a part of this, you know, new economy. And I think this makes it quite easy and quite interesting. I mean, it's certainly a very different approach because you're not locked in, you know, to all the things like classically you would today. So I know your pilot city is Miami. If someone wanted to sign up outside of that, can they do that today? Or if not, when do you think we're looking at being able to? Well, Bill, it's it's a wait list if you're not in Miami. Uh, it's actually specifically Miami-Dade County, Broward County, Palm Beach County. Those three counties can can use a service now. We've We've actually expanded outside of Miami over time. So um, if you're not in those counties, don't worry. Sign up for the wait list. Literally in the coming weeks, we're going to be announcing our approach to Nationwide. Um, so definitely if you're listening to this and you're interested, go to helium, you know, hellohelium.com and, and check it out and sign up for the wait list. Um, but again, we, we, we've been very sort of pragmatic about the approach. We've never launched a phone plan before. 
And we didn't want to do it nationwide and like screw over a lot of people by, you know, having software that's, you know, either incompatible or unstable. So we've used this time with our pilot city and our beta testers to really work out the kinks and make sure our, our platform and software is super easy to use and just make sure our support is tight and our support is, you know, is there for folks when they need it. Now that just absolutely sounds amazing. And yeah, I was going to throw that out there too. Again, it's hellohelium.com. Am I correct on that? Yeah, hellohelium.com. Yeah, and there's a lot of good information out there too that talks about some of the different ways this is all put together. And I was actually able to read it and understand it, which is another first in the mobile area. (laughs) So, all right. Well, I know we're going to have a lot of questions. Can we get you back when you do your nationwide rollout and have you tell us a little bit more about how that's going to work when it's time to talk about it? Yeah, of course. Happy to. And I, I definitely, I, I think this is something that could really be very interesting. Is there anything else you want to tell us? Yeah, I would just really encourage folks to think about Helium Mobile Service, what it means to both be able to use the, you know, the power of T-Mobile, which is literally everywhere, um, but also gain something from that, right? As a, as a subscriber of Helium Mobile, why, why is it different from T-Mobile then? Well, you get to choose your data, where your data goes, and you get to choose if you want to monetize that data or not. And actually, you earn the rewards, not not the cell company, right? Not us, not Healing Mobile. So I think those are some really differentiating factors for us. And as the, what I would consider people power network grows and grows and grows more and more and more, I think this becomes a really cool and interesting space for um, everyone that's been in and around the internet You'll, you'll start to see a change, I think, in the landscape. And if we could bring ownership of this access to the internet to more folks, I think you'll start to see just more competitive phone plans, you know, price better, price more appropriately for the audience, and just simpler overall. Um, and that's, that's our goal. Our goal is to really flip the economics of the telco industry uh, on its head and really have it be driven by the people, which is... Oddly enough, how the internet was started. It started really open source and for the people. Yeah. And I, I hear this internet thing they think might be successful. So following that footprint <laughs> probably is a good idea. All right, Frank, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. Frank Mong, Chief Operating Officer at Helium, hellohelium.com. So as Frank said in the interview, if you're interested in this, just go to their website and there is a wait list where you can get information on when this is available in your city. Something cool to definitely check out. Well, as we said earlier in the show, the holidays are upon us. Thanksgiving is next week or this week, rather. Boy, it's coming up quicker than I thought. So as we have to talk about this time of year, what's hot in tech for gifts for the holiday season? And this year is a little different. We don't have a new video game console that's just come out. And Bill, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Are there even any new games that have come out? I haven't seen any, to be honest. I mean, there's probably going to be a big opening, but I I would hope so. I would imagine. But there's nothing that's being talked about right now, you know, like uh, the next whatever. So that's, you know, and then the second area of holidays that's usually pretty hot is mobile stuff. Yeah, there's a new iPhone this year and it is an upgrade if you have an older one. I'm not sure there's anything on there that's that big of a deal to spend $1,500 if you already have a later model. Samsung has some new stuff out. I keep being pressed by Google Fi to check out their latest thing. So maybe there's a new Google Fi phone. 
Yeah, that's actually one of the, there's a Google Fi Fold or Pixel Fold is what it would be. Mm-hmm. It's actually gotten some pretty good ratings and there's some upgrades there. So it's not like there aren't new products in these areas, but there isn't the wow, you know, that we've had in past years. So looking ahead to see what's selling this year, um, start with the kids, is things like interactive toys. So it seems like a lot of what's going on this year is they're taking existing products and making them smarter with AI or Internet of Things or whatever they might do and be able to, you know, take some old things and make them new again. One of them is Legos. And I've always been a fan of Legos. Our pastor's Jeremy was a big fan of Legos. And this is something that has been around for a very long time. But you actually can get them now where you can build them out as robots. You can program software. You can get processors that control different things. So this has really been taken into the next area of tech. Yeah, they've really expanded the whole Lego line. They've got um, uh, plants. They've got a Lego line that um, you can build plants, like uh, floral arrangements. I've seen a Lego line that is buildings, like historical buildings. So along with the robots and this other programmable stuff, uh, they've really expanded. And of course, about, I don't know how many years ago, they expanded into almost like what you would call a little girl line that's targeting girls. And that's really cute. So there's Legos is really working on it. That's cool. There's other products that are compatible. If you want to just get started and don't want to have to program initially, I might recommend the Lego 10-pack marker set. It's a Target and Barnes & Noble. And these are Legos. They're compatible, but they're markers. And it might be easier to start with a marker if you've never done programming than a robot. So what do you mean marker? You mean like a pen? Like a pen. That it has a Lego piece on it that will actually attach to other Legos. Okay. <laughs> Just an interesting idea, but hey. I you think know, I'll kind stick of with the bit. Millennium Falcon. Okay. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's also a price difference here. The other thing I've noticed is Legos have gotten expensive in recent years. and uh, oh, They've been so, expensive. I, yeah. I, know. I used to have like almost like a coronary when I would see the things that Jeremy would buy. I've got. Slave One, I've got the Millennium Falcon, and I have a whole bunch of other things, and I'm like, oh, he spent how much on these? <laughs> yeah, I, know, I can I can just imagine. It's just, you know, it, oh, man. But now on the um, video side, entertainment side, that type of a thing, if you need a new television, there's a lot of those out there. Nothing that's really latest, greatest, but prices have come down on this. Although some of the smart TV stuff is getting to refresh, specifically the Amazon smart TV stick. Coming out with a 4K match, uh, Max, which is finally compatible with Wi-Fi 6 and Wi-Fi 6E. It's a little bit better connection there and that type of a things. Does Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision, and some of these other things, which have been in some of the past devices. But these are a little bit stronger. And you, there's also a Fire uh, audio bar now or something, which I'm going to check into that. And I'll let everybody know whether you know that's worth the investments or not on that end. And then we're seeing tech get into a lot of other different things. Smart homes are big this year, and there's a lot more you can do with your smart home now. So on that, we've talked about this a little bit in the year past, but there's a new format for smart homes called Matter. And if you get Matter-compliant devices, they are supposed to work with pretty much all other smart home devices that support that. So what this solves is the problem of I have a, a type of smart home, and I have to now be locked into that ecosystem because other devices won't work. Well, as long as things are matter compliant, it's a universal standard, which is bringing the prices down and that type of a thing. And as a, for example, 
a regular colored light bulb that would just replace your standard light bulb that is smart. So has the different color frequencies and that kind of a thing will be $14.95 this year. And anybody that remembers things like Philips Hue and that kind of stuff, which is still on the market, knows that that's been a lot more money. So things like that is just one example of a lot of different things that are out there that are going in the direction of smart technology. So, you know, if you look at these different things and see what's out there, one of the other issues that we've been running into is there's a lot of knockoffs this year I've been noticing. So you might have a tech thing that's, you know, whatever it is. And then on the comparison, you have four others that appear to have the same capabilities, but they're half the price. So we check some of those out. And uh, I know this is going to come as a shock to everybody. The others didn't work as well. (laughs) Yeah. So this was specifically for some of the new headsets that are coming out for things like AirPods and compatibility with that. And on the Android side, there's earbuds and that type of a thing. Now, if you do want something that's not super expensive, but that actually works reasonably well, the JLab Go Air, which is $16.99, Amazon and Best Buy have them, might work for you. I still like the name brand devices on these better. It seems like the audio is clearer and that type of a thing. And until I can just, you know, build this into my glasses, it'll be a hug when I'm a cyborg. It is nice to be able to have something that's small that works, but it's got to be clear. And the one thing I noticed about the more inexpensive ones of these, if you're using them while you're driving, it becomes incredibly difficult to hear with just a little bit of car noise. So it's definitely something to check out. And on those, read the reviews and find something that will work for you. So guys, what are you thinking about? Is there anything you're excited about for the holidays this year? Not really. I wish I had a cricket sound effect button. Yeah, (laughs) I think we need to add one. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, I'm just, you know, I think just I'm look around and see what's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, so this is one thing where it might be nice to go old school and actually go to a store and see what they have available and, you know, kind of take it from there. Some of the stuff I consider to be a little bit ridiculous. Um, I don't think I need a smart coffee maker and I certainly don't need a $400 smart toothbrush. And the wildest thing I saw, I believe it was $580 as a smart toaster. So this uh, is a toaster. Well, that's what I was wondering too. No, it's a toaster that has a touch screen and, you know, and the thing heats up. So I, you know, one's got to wonder how long that's going to work. Yeah. And you can manipulate it from your, from your smart home network, which, okay, that's fine. But even the coffee maker conceivably, you could set up the evening before and then turn it on when you get up. I could sort of see that, but you're not going to leave bread in the toaster overnight. You couldn't do that. So it's like, you know, now I, I have to admit, I did not spend the almost $500 on this to see how it worked. And I don't plan to. But if anybody's bought this and you love it, let us know. I'd be very curious to uh, to hear back on that type of a thing and uh, just, just see what you think of it. So we're going to get into this a little bit more. But like I say this year, there isn't that, ooh, wow, you know, this is the experience you want to have for this year, big gift thing, at least not yet. And Bill, like you say, maybe there will be. You know, maybe we're going to see it right after Thanksgiving when these things are announced. I don't know. Yeah, that is usually when they start announcing a lot of the Christmas stuff. So hopefully there'll be a nice uh, deluge of interesting and new things. Yeah, yeah. Well, we shall see what happens. All right. So like we were saying, next week is going to be our Thanksgiving clip show. So we hope everybody has a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. 
And hopefully you get some time with family and a little bit more normal experience this year than we've had with some of the COVID stuff in the past. And the week after that, we're going to be back with some more new content. But we want to hear from you. Let us know what you would like us to cover. Userfriendly.show is our website. And on there, there is a big blue button that says, Ask a Question. And you can go in there and ask your question, and we will endeavor to answer it, maybe even on the air. So we look forward to hearing from you. Again, we hope that you have a very happy, safe Thanksgiving holiday. And we look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks. Until then, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2023, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. Views expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting and technology provided by wearetechnology.com. Listen at theanswerportland.com, userfriendlyshow.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts.